why do you have to ruin it before I get to it? Like, <laughs> okay, sorry, go ahead. Everybody out there, Jeff is anti-union. <laughs> Not only does he think Rod Brindamore is soft, but Jeff oh, is anti-union. And any anyone else you hate oh. on this podcast? Um, they're not going to be able to step into Coca-Cola Coliseum. All the Ayatsi guys are going to be oh, able to you're, get you're in big trouble there, man. Um, no done. question done. about it. 32 Thoughts is always brought to you by the GMC Sierra HD. Merrick alongside Friedman and the Global Series is upon us. Uh, eyes are on Stockholm. Eyes are on, well, Ottawa and Detroit as we record this podcast are playing. Uh, also, Minnesota and Toronto. Those are your four teams. Coming up on this podcast, you will hear from Chris Tanev, uh, Calgary Flames defenseman. Elliot Friedman sat down with Tanev a couple of weeks ago, and we thought maybe we should get this out before he gets traded. More <laughs> on that coming up in a couple of moments. Meantime, Elliot, I have been wearing my World Cup of Hockey Team Sweden toque all day long. It's a Trey Kroner. It's uh, the beautiful crowns. It is blue. It is yellow. It is gorgeous. We've got Sweden on our mind. I want to you know ask what that you about does? Daniel Alperts. What's that? That answers the audience's question to Jeff Merrick. What are you wearing? What's that? Uh, actually, I'm wearing this toque, and I'm wearing a Guelph Griffins hoodie. <laughs> Guelph Griffins hockey hoodie. <laughs> Did you have anything purple on your side of things in the University of Western Ontario? I, I think I'd rather you be, I, I think I'd rather envision you <laughs> naked than wearing a Guelph Griffins hoodie. Oh my, Elliot, every Friday, have two Saturdays. Look at you go. Okay, so <laughs> as we all have eyes on Stockholm here, uh, I want to begin by this. And I'm so pleased that the NHL Alumni Association has done this is the Boreas Salming Courage Award. This was awarded today, and it's an award that recognizes, I'll, I'll read it here, that recognizes a European NHL alumni member who's been a positive influence in their community and best embodies Boreas' lasting bravery, courage, and dedication both on and off the ice. First recipient, put on your surprise face, Nicholas Lidstrom Elliott. Another item for Mr. Perfect, the perfect human. Mm. Yeah. Something else for the perfect human's perfect wall. Very fitting. <laughs> Excellent choice. Can't argue with that at all. And not surprised that Glenn Healy would come up with something like that that really works and and really fits. I wonder if there's a problem with the clocks in Sweden or if you check your time on a smartphone, if there's a problem with the smartphones in Sweden, like maybe too close to the North Pole, the magnetic nature of it gets in the way because Where are you going Detroit slept through the first period. Oh, yeah, true. Ottawa slept through the second period. Yeah. And I'll say this, the best German baseball player around right now, I believe is Max Kepler of the Minnesota Twins. And there is no way he can hit a bouncing puck <laughs> as well as Tim Stutzla can. No way. You know what they always say about bouncing pucks? What do they say about them? Shoot them, because you know where they're going? Nobody knows. Just shoot a bouncing puck always. That was a great OT winner by Stutzla. That was really good. Hey, if that's game 104 in Sweden, you're off to a good start with your product. That was a fun game to watch. You know, the, the one thing I, I want to talk about this week and, and the importance of these games is 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 Klingberg in Toronto. And sure. look, when when Klingberg didn't play last Friday, I had people telling me he was going to Robita Island. 
And for those of you who are not familiar with Robota Island, that's something that Toronto fans refer to when Stefan Robota was injured. He was sent on to LTIR and it opened up cap room and I was under Lou Lamorello. So Toronto fans have this joke about players who are injured and, and can't play. And I had people telling me that was going to happen. And so when he played on the Saturday night against Vancouver, I was calling some of these people and saying, you guys are the worst sources ever. Like he's back. <laughs> and and they were kind of laughing about it and saying, look, like Sweden's next week and, and let's see. And of course, John Klingberg is going to be there in Sweden. He went, yeah. he made the trip. He hasn't practiced. Doesn't look like he's going to play Friday. But listening to this about Klingberg, it's just a reminder, like Anthony Mantha this week, we found out he, he lost his hearing and he still played through it after he took a shot off the head. And I think it's just another reminder of what these guys put themselves through to play. They, you know, even guys who are struggling, like, you know, Mantha's been struggling and Klingberg's had a tough start. Getting into these games is so meaningful to them, especially Klingberg going home to Sweden. You know sure. he is doing everything possible to play in this game. Like, everything possible to play in this game. And I really love that they get the opportunity to do it. And I'm, and ever since Luke Robitaille mentioned on our pod here that they have to go back to London, I'm just envisioning them uh, you know, with another game in London. I love these things because you can tell for the guys who are from there how meaningful mm -hmm. they are. Like every press conference I've seen this week is, is of a player, whether active like a Nylander or retired like an Alfredson or a Lidstrom, they are just beaming at the possibilities of this. And that's why I think it's so important in addition to growing the games. Part of the, the lure of international hockey, and, and again, like we all, you know, waiting for a, a sophisticated and consistent international calendar from, from the National Hockey League here, is to establish identity. Like as far as, you know, identity in a nation is concerned, so much of it is built on their reputation and their play in international hockey. And one of the things, this started with a conversation that I had with J.D. Bunkus on 590 in Toronto the other day, which is who is the face of Swedish hockey right now? Like for the longest time, early it was Borja Salming. At times it was Peter Forsberg. A lot it was Matt Sundin. A lot it was Nick Lidstrom as well. Sundin twins. And uh, Sedin twins, Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, but right now, Boy, right now, nobody it's beats that face of Swedish hockey. No kidding. That is that is tape measure home run <laughs> where the pitcher doesn't even watch it. He just asks for another ball. That's, the left fielder doesn't even turn and look. He just stands there. No. <laughs> yeah, don't need That's to move one. for this one. But if you, if you look at Swedish hockey right now, you know, do we need? to see international competition until someone distinguishes themselves? Or is it just the top player? So is it Elias Pettersson? Is it Eric Carlson? Is it William Nylander? Like it, to me, it doesn't seem like there's one clear cut face of Swedish hockey and maybe we need to see an Olympic competition or a World Cup competition for, for one to really pop. You know what I think Sweden needs? And Sundin alluded to this in an interview uh, last year. I think it was with J.D. Bunkus, actually, who you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. But he alluded to they need international hockey back, meaningful 
international 100%. hockey. And, you know, once again, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly were asked about this today. And I and obviously they're working towards a 2025 international tournament of some kind and going back to the Olympics in 2026. But to me, more than a specific face, I think they need best on best. We have to have it back. And I get this argument all the time. There's people who say to me, you don't make money off the Olympics. You're not getting the money for it. I know, I know, I know, I don't care. It's still the Olympics and it's still the thing that most people watch and the players badly want to play in it and you build your you build your league, even though it's not technically the NHL, you build your league worldwide with your stars at the Olympics. And so that's why when you say who's the face of Swedish hockey, I don't think it's as important as getting the best on best with the Swedish players there. That's how you develop who your stars are. Pedersen has a chance to be it. And with mm. a big performance on that big stage, he could yeah. be it. Uh, you mentioned Matt Sundin a couple of seconds ago. And listen, we saw plenty of games with Matt Sundin going head to head with Daniel Alfredson. Uh, there was stick toss gate and mocking stick toss and et cetera, et cetera. It yes. was just a lot of fun watching Toronto and Ottawa go at it with two Swedes at the center of that rivalry. Um, Daniel Alfredson on the bench with the Ottawa Senators and Matt Sundin in lengthy conversations with Brendan Shanahan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, let's start off here, twofold. Thoughts about Alfredson's presence, not just in Ottawa, but specifically behind the bench um, at this uh, at this global series. And also, I don't know if I should say, call it a thaw because I don't know if it was an iceberg, but does it seem like there's a more of a warming between Matt Sundin and Toronto going on right now? It, it does. First of all, about Alfredson, this was always going to be a thing. Now that the Sanders were sold, he was coming back. It was just a matter of when and in what role. Well, last Monday, not this week, but a week ago, when Steve Steos addressed the team, Alfredson was there and he was part of the commentary. He was one of the people who addressed them. That said to me that his voice is going to be big and he his opinions are going to be heard. He may not have, a, like, I don't even know if title matters with him right now. It's just that he's back in the organization. He's part of the overall group and his presence is there. And the fact they put him on the bench in Sweden, I, I think that's fantastic. First of all, he's going to love it. It's a proper tribute to him. And secondly, and I, I think this is an understated thing here. It's going to allow Daniel Alfredson to go on the bench and see what's going on. I want to make it very clear here. I'm not talking about him like any kind of spy or anything like that. Because I know people go goofy about those kinds of things. He's I don't Matahari. think Matahari. He's yeah, Matahari. He's, he's, he's not a spy <laughs> or anything like that. But what it's going to do is it's going to give him a bird's eye view of kind of what's going on and is there anything that needs to be fixed? Are they happy with the way everything's going and all the players are reacting? Like Alfredson has made it very clear that he wants to be as much about development and making things better and offering his opinion as much as he's interested in like 
you know, making trades or going scouting or running the team or anything like that. So I think that's one of the things that's going to happen here is he's going to go on the bench. He's going to see, and he's going to say, okay, this is what I'm seeing and this is how we can make it better. So I only, I don't think this is only a celebration. This is also a chance to get him immersed in, in what's happening. You know, the Sundin thing, I don't like to talk for Matt Sundin because I think he would hate it, um, to be honest. But there's definitely been a feeling that Sundin is not as much a part of the organization as he should be. And I, again, hmm. I've never spoken to Sundin about this, but I know people who know Sundin, who know how much he loves the Maple Leafs and loved playing for them. And, you know, he gave his heart for them. There's no question he's he sweat a lot of um, blood for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, and they feel he should be more involved. And they think that he's kind of been, I don't know if left outside is the right word, but he's never had as much of a role as he should have. And I know that these people are there right now. And one of the things they're saying is they hope it means that Sundin is going to become a bigger part of the organization because he's got a lot to offer. And they feel as a guy who was captain as long as he was, he should be part of the organization. This isn't like a a Dave Keon type estrangement from from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like I, I think that you've made that clear, and I think it's important that you know that 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 that's front and center here. This is more of a, eh, I'm not so much feeling the love here from my old team as opposed to, you know, Dave Keon. Like there was some like legitimate bad blood between Dave Keon and well, certainly when Harold Ballard ran the team. But he just didn't want anything to do with the Maple Leafs organization. He wanted a lot to do with his, his teammates, but not the team itself. Yeah, Keon was, I don't like the way I've been treated here. I don't like the way this is going. And as we learned that Dave Keon can hold a grudge for a very long time, like very impressive skill, I have to say, to hold a grudge for as long as, <laughs> as, long as he did. Even better that eventually, you know, that that cooled down and he was he was able to come back and be properly recognized that was brendan shanahan too like if brendan shanahan can bring matt sundin back back into his team's mix along with having already brought dave keon back into the mix like that's that's impressive for shanahan to have on the resume and now if you can do it with sundin i think that's important like i said i i you know he was always very passionate about the team he's very smart He's got a lot to offer. You know, one of the things, I'll tell you this, like a, a, it's a funny story kind of, but one of Sundin's friends, I, I remember I was working a Toronto-Montreal game on a Saturday night, okay? And Sundin was being honored. He gave a speech before the game. It was after he was done playing. And he talked about how the... The Leaf fans needed to understand how much the players cared. It was a time when things weren't going really well and they were under a lot of heat. And he gets up there and he stands up for them. He says, you have to understand that these guys really care about being Maple Leafs. They they try really hard. They want to win just as much as you do. They want to represent the Maple Leafs very proudly for you. So he basically says, leave them alone for a couple of weeks while they sort this out. <laughs> and then they go out to Montreal and they lose five, nothing. It was on hockey night in Canada. 
And this guy was at that game and he came up to me after and he was steaming. He was, he was saying like, he's like those bleeping bleeps, you know, Sundin goes out there. He tells the fans to get off their backs. He talks them up. He says, I know how much you care. And they go out and they suck bleep and they lose five, nothing <laughs> to the Montreal Canadians. They made Matt's look bad. You should go on the air and you should trash them for that. I was just, I, I always remembered that story. It was, it was really funny. Anyway, like, look, like, he should be part of the organization in some way, and hopefully it works out. Remember when um, Matt Sundin signed with the Vancouver Canucks and came back to Toronto when there was that ovation? You know, it, it's good you mentioned that because I thought about that with Bo Horvat, and, and that is that it's a reminder that a lot of the noise online is just noise. You, you have to remember only a certain percentage of people have, say, a Twitter account or a whatever account. And just because something might be true online or appears to be true online, it's not true. Like Sundin was actually worried about the reception he was going to get. And remember, he he gets the big ovation when they do the video and he can't take the face off. The linesman steps away from the face off so Sundin can recollect himself. You could tell Horvat was nervous for New York in Vancouver the other night. But the moment he gets out there, uh, it was funny what JT Miller said, like, stop crying. <laughs> I, I really love that. But, you know, Orvat was emotional. And yeah. I think it's a reminder of the online world is not the real world. People forget that. It is not the real world. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. But also, Jeff, more importantly, what it's a reminder of, people understand that you're not always going to get the best results. But what they really know is if you gave them a great effort, if you gave them a great effort where they are, they will always thank you for that with, I mean, I'll say this. One exception was John Tavares in New York. He gave them a great effort and they weren't having any of it. <laughs> nope. But in most cases, I think fans recognize you give us a great effort and we won't forget you for it. What do you make of both? Like that, that was the game that a lot of us had circled. Okay, this is going to be the one. It's the return of Bo Horvat. This is something that Horvat has probably had on his mind since the trade last year. Like, okay, eventually I'm going to have to go back to Vancouver. What is it going to be like? I was so emotionally tied to that organization and that city and those fans. What's going to come over me? What's it going to feel like? And now he's gone through it. So the relief valve has been sprung for Bo Horvat. Um, but at the end of it, like all eyes were on this game. And so now we're looking at the Vancouver Canucks um, and we're looking at the New York Islanders and we're seeing the tale of two distinct teams. Like for Vancouver, everything is going gangbusters. But let's drill down on the uh, on the Islanders here for a couple of seconds. Jeff, unfortunately for them, it didn't get any better on Thursday night. They went into Seattle, a team that was also struggling and they... They couldn't get the win there. So every day the tension just piles up on Long Island. First of all, I don't think Lou Lamorello is sitting on his hands. Um, he, he didn't go on the road trip. Uh, he was in Toronto at the GM meetings. And, you know, one of the things about him is people don't like to say a lot about what he's up to, partially out of respect and partially because he still gives the fear of God into people. And, you know, if you want to make a deal with Lamorello and it gets out, 
I think it's harder now to say if it gets out, it's not going to happen. I, 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 I don't think that happens as much. Like you'll remember last year when you traded for Horvat, we said on the pod in the Monday morning, look out for the Islanders. And I think it got done that day. And someone said to me later that there were people who were nervous in Vancouver when they heard about that because they're like, uh-oh, are we going to lose the deal? And, you know, someone just joked with me later, it's it's too hard to do that now. There, there's too much that gets out. But I do think that he's up to some stuff. I think he was talking to a lot of GMs uh, at this meeting or the word was getting around that he was asking what's out there. I, I, I really, I think they're looking for a score. They've been looking for a score for a while. I definitely think they're still looking for another one. And I also think they're in on some of these defensemen, maybe from Calgary. Um, I, I think he is looking at some ideas out there about how it can work and what he can get. Uh, somebody hinted to me without confirming it that, uh, uh, who was at the meeting, they said they thought that Calgary was one of the teams on the Islanders' radar about something they could do. And so I, I think he's definitely looking out there. You know, one of the guys I wonder about for the Flames, if you look at the Flames, they traded for Sharon Govich. Um, they, their young guys like Zari looks like a player. Pospisil's been pretty close, pretty good. Like they look like they have some some young players here. One of the guys I wonder about if they're going to be a factor in all this is going to be Wallstrom, and simply because I can see the player saying, you know, I I need if I, if I'm not going to get the opportunity here, I have to get it somewhere else. And I can see players like a team like Calgary that picked up a player like Sharon Govich possibly being interested in someone like that. I'm not saying it's going to be him, but that's the kind of player I could look at Calgary having interest in if they're the fit with Vancouver. And I could see a player like Wallstrom simply saying, look, if I need to get my career going, if it's not going to be here, you know, it's it can be somewhere else. That's kind of the guy some people have suggested to me is going to be interesting to watch in all this. You know, we should also talk about Lane Lambert. Um, you know, there were a yep. lot of rumors flying around on Lambert on Wednesday. Obviously, nothing happened. Um, I, I really love Lane Lambert, the person. Um, look, one coach has been changed. You always wonder, is it going to be more? I don't have any information at this point in time that they're doing it, and it's tough to get anything out of New York. It's just that I think everybody's sensitivities are are heightened to it just because there was a coaching change this week. To me, it comes down to what does Lamorello think makes more sense, making a move that helps them or changing mm-hmm. a coach to help them. Bad penalties, giving up leads, uh, special teams issues. Uh, there's a lot of problems there. You, you know what that game looked to me like in the third period, that even though it was th- or 3-1, Vancouver thought they were going to win and the Islanders were worried they were going to lose. And that's been happening all the time. Like Vancouver's one of those teams now that thinks they can win in any situation. And because the Islanders have had so many collapses, you know, you it starts becoming a self-fulfilling prophesy. Once that once that avalanche starts, it's really hard to stop. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because here's one observation again. This is just me watching hockey games. But when I watch Islanders and when I watch them with the lead specifically, like I'm glad you brought that up because 
it seems as if, I mean, they're married to a really tight defensive structure. And it looks like they're completely risk averse. Nobody wants to take a chance because of uh, their, their very strict defensive philosophy. And you know what hockey's like right now. Every now and then you got to open it up. Every now and then you got to let your, let your dogs run a little bit here. The Islanders don't do that. And I wonder too, because I've looked, I've, I've looked at it the same way. I'm like, oof, these guys may have the lead, but they're playing hesitant. Like they're, they're, they're playing tentative here. And I just wonder if it's up, it's because they adhere to this really defensive structure and are scared to open it up and what that might mean for them individually. Does that make sense? It, it could. The The only reason I, degree, I disagree with that, Jeff, is that I've seen it work for them, right? Th- this is a team that went to the Eastern Conference Final back-to-back playing basically the same system. So I don't know that I would make that argument. Number one, maybe it's just possible that, you know, Jeff, I mean, maybe the answer is they're just simply not as good as they were two years ago or three years ago when they were going far with that, when they took Tampa to one nothing in Game 7. Like, that was a hell of a team. Maybe this team is just two or three years older, and we're seeing what's, what catches up with that. That could be the answer. To me, when I was watching the other night, I just saw a team in Vancouver that was thinking to themselves, like, when the Blackhawks were at their best, when the Avalanche were at their best, the Lightning were at their best, they never thought they were going to lose. Never. The Golden Knights. You could be up 3-1 to one going into the third period and you still thought, you know, we have plenty of time to win this game. We're that good. And even though it doesn't work all the time for Vancouver, they, they for example, they got beat 5-2 by Toronto on Saturday night. They generally think they're going to find a way to win these games. And, and you really saw that Wednesday night. In that third period, Vancouver was like, we don't care what the score is. We're gonna win this game. All right, let me let me swing back to the Calgary Flames for a second. How how do we think we we should best couch this? Uh, open for business. Uh, the showroom is open, but the stickers aren't on, so we don't know the prices. How would you describe Calgary right now? Actively listening. You know, the Zadorov thing that really hit them hard last week. Um, I heard there were some pretty upset players. Like you saw that Backlund clip this week. We found out the same time as you did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think there were some pretty upset players. Uh, you know, obviously Zadorov was very frustrated. And, you know, that's why the agent sent out the tweets. But that doesn't mean that everybody knows the situation. You know, there there have been situations before. You know, some people are uh, some people say, okay, someone makes a trade request, whether it's in private. Everybody knows about it. That's not always true. And I know the Flames uh, felt that, you know, judging from some of the questions that were asked to the players, it's clear that the feeling there was the Flames were taken taken aback by this too. Now, Zadorov kind of denied that. He, he felt that he made it very clear, but not everybody in that organization feels the same way. Clearly, there's been some miscommunication here or not everybody is on the same page. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is just because Zadorov may have indicated that, it doesn't mean everybody knew. 
You know, there are times you have that conversation and the player wants it kept quiet or the team wants it kept quiet. So not everyone is made aware. And for the captain not to know about it, as Backlund said, it definitely would be a big surprise. Like, I I think there was some verbal confrontation between players after that. I, I, I don't think everybody was was very happy, you know. So and 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 I, I think the thing is here too. The people like Craig Conroy, he was a really good player because he's a really emotional guy. And I think if you're if you're Craig Conroy and you see it play out that way, I think for a couple minutes there, you maybe a day, you're angry. You're like, get this freaking guy out of here. That's what kind of happens. But then the GM in you, and and that's why also Don Maloney and Dave Nonis are around, just calm you down. Let's work it out. Now, I do think they started getting called by teams. What's going on here? And I do think the Flames asked teams, okay, if you were willing to do this and you were willing to do it for, say, 10 of two, tell me what we're talking about here. What players are you willing to do? And I think that has happened. Uh, So the flames are kind of going through this. They're deciding what they like. They are determined to do this on their own schedule. But Jeff, I would say that it's advanced in the sense that they asked teams, if we wanted to move these players, what's in the conversation? Now, I'll tell this to you too. Depending on who you talk to, you also hear that there was as much, if not more, conversation already around Tanev and and Hannafin as there was around Zadorov. Zadorov got pushed into the forefront because of the tweets on on Friday night, but I still do think that there was also a lot of poking around on the other two guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how they all get prioritized. Who goes first? Do any of them go together? And where this all ends up. Now, I don't think Calgary wants to trade with Vancouver. My opinion on this is if they give you the best deal and you should try to squeeze as much juice out of them as you can, that's your job, then you should look towards that deal. But I think Vancouver knows that if they don't make the trade now, they can always circle back on these players in the summer. Like, I think Tanev, all things being equal, would be very interested in Vancouver. And I think the same for Zadorov. So Vancouver knows if it's not now, they can wait. But they're having a really good year. And, you know, it's maybe you want to strike when the iron's hot. Toronto, I think the same thing. I, I I always wonder about it's it's not the same. They're not in the division. I always wonder though, in Toronto, like if you're in Calgary, how are your fans gonna feel if you know Chris Tanev or Zadorov or both are gonna be like the kinds of missing pieces or have a big run with the Maple Leafs? Now, you may have heard this, Jeff. I, I know you weren't a great student, but the people of Alberta <laughs> are not always huge fans of the people in Toronto. So, you know where that's also true? Where's that? 
everywhere else in Canada. Yeah, I know that's definitely true. So I think there's that. I mean, look, is there is there anything about the GM who was in Calgary is now the guy in Toronto? Is that a factor? Um, look, I look, again, I look at it this way. Maybe you try to squeeze the juice out of Toronto a bit more, but if they're making you an offer that can really help you, then I think you take the deal. I would just be interesting because I, I think they would they would want one of Toronto's really good young forwards. Like one of the things we're we're learning now after the preseason is, well, we're learning now is that maybe Robertson has finally found his role as Max Domi's winger, and, and and you look at these you know tremendous young players, and that they that they saw in training camp. You know, what are you going to do here? Now, the thing here is, this is the interesting thing about all this. One of the things that someone said to me that makes this more complicated is, remember a couple years ago, the rule was changed that compensation can't be determined anymore based on if player resigns, right? Like, like you know Toronto and you know Vancouver, like a guy like Tanev or a guy like Zadorov they're going to want to re-sign those guys if they trade for them. So either you give them permission during the season to see if they can do it, or is Calgary going to look at these teams warily and say, we're going to ask more because we think they're going to re-sign there. So I've heard in those two cases that's an interesting part of what Calgary's thinking. Because if you look at like a trade for the Zadorov or a trade for a Tanov, you're not getting a top prospect for a rental. That's just not, like if you go through all of these trades, it doesn't really happen like this anymore unless someone really drives up the price. But if you're willing to give permission to re-sign or you think they're going to re-sign, because you can't, you can't do that dependent thing on it anymore. Um, then, you know, you're you're probably gambling a little bit more. You know, one of the things I want to say about Calgary is, and these defensemen, I think there's a lot more teams in there than we realize. Why wouldn't there be? On these guys. I, that doesn't surprise yes. me at all. I don't think it should, should surprise Well, we've kind anybody. of focused on Toronto and Vancouver because we're Canadian supremacists. <laughs> Um, oh my! But I think there's a lot more teams looking at these guys. Okay, before we move on, because I want to ask you, and actually, I want to play a game called "Who Said It." But before we get there, what's happening with Elias Patterson and the much talked about contract extension? Because after your boat ride, <laughs> Elliot, <laughs> things kind of got goofy. I don't think it was ever. I'm not going to stay here. I think it was, I want to make sure we're good. And now what are we seeing? Are they on a bit of a PDO bender, as we call it, shooting percentage plus save percentage? Yeah, but you ride that wave. To me, they just look good. Like consistently, they are their best players are their best players. And the other thing that Rick Tockett does really well, and, and I, I think this is really important, but the other thing that Rick Tockett does really well is he emboldens his role players. Look at DiGiuseppe. Look at Dakota Joseph. 
look at some of his depth defensemen, you know, Mark Friedman and the Ian Cole pair, for example. Um, he emboldens those guys. He makes them feel important and he gives them roles on the team that makes them feel important. But the bottom line is they are winning because their best players have been consistently great. And, and Pedersen is obviously a, a huge piece of that. Look, we know they're talking. I think they, they've really tried to keep it under wraps, but Patrick Alvin decided to uh, say, yes, yes, we're talking. And then the floodgates started open. So I think this is obviously in a very positive direction. The question, I think there's just a lot of places that this could go right now. And one of the places I, I think it can go is term. One of the things too here, and, and I talk about this a lot on this podcast, Jeff, is that the best determinant of future behavior is past behavior. And Pedersen is wrapped by CAA. Earlier this year, CAA did an extension with Owen Power in, in Buffalo. And the Sabres won eight years, and the reason it got done was because they were willing to go down to seven. And the difference there was it meant that Power would sign his next contract at age 29 instead of 30. And in an analytics-driven world, which hockey is becoming more of, that's a big deal. 29 versus 30 is a big deal. For argument's sake here, and I'm just keeping this in mind because it happened once, and like I said, if they think about it there, they think about it here. Pedersen, if he signs a three-year deal, will next be eligible for an extension the summer before he turns 29. So I'm not saying it's going to be a three-year deal, but I think it's possible, possible, that Pedersen goes for that area of term instead of eight for two reasons. One, his agency will tell him you can get another deal when you're 29 years old. And secondly, Pedersen to me is the kind of guy, and I say this in a good way, who would see Matthews doing a four-year deal and ask why is he doing that and what's the benefit Yes, and consider it. Because I think he's a pretty intuitive guy. So, like, like, so I think there's time here. I don't think anyone's in a rush. I think this deal is going to get done at some point. But one question is going to be the cap, and the other question is going to be the term. One quick aside before you move on. Watching that Islanders-Vancouver game, uh, one of the things that I thought about was All-Star Weekend. And would it not be fun to see a hardest shot competition between Ryan Pulak of the Islanders and Philip Peronik of the Vancouver Canucks, who cranked it up 107.9? Elliot, we've talked about specialists before. Hey, let's go find Martin Furk and bring him in. Tell me that wouldn't be a fun showdown. Even though technically they might not get in as quote-unquote all-stars, would you not love to see that at all-star? I've been screaming about this for years. Like, I have been screaming about this for years. Bring in the specialists. But people who say that I should use my voice because I have influence, this is a, a proof that I have none. So <laughs> this is why I don't even talk anymore. Okay, quick game of who said it. Um, which player said that his team hasn't, quote, completely bought in? Jordan Stahl. Carolina Hurricanes. Something just looks off. Just looks off with the hurricanes. I can't, it's like grabbing a handful of water, 
What is it? Something's not right with Carolina. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, Carolina, earlier in the year, they weren't getting saves. And someone said to me, don't worry about that. They are still a good defensive team. They just aren't stopping the puck. That'll sort itself out there. And I was like, okay. And now they're not scoring as much. And if you look at the NHL edge stuff, for example, their offensive zone time at even strength is among the best in the league. Their shooting percentage is among the worst in the league. So I'm trying to determine, is this just a bad shooting slump? Is this a Josh Anderson-esque shooting slump where no matter what you can do, you just can't score? Like, if you look at their NHL edge numbers, Jeff, they're getting chances from high danger areas and they're in the gray zone, which is not the top level, but it's higher than average as compared to the rest of the team. So that says to me that they're getting opportunities. Now, I'll probably have to watch them a little bit more. I just wonder, like Vancouver, which is, has like the the hockey luck right now in addition to how well they're playing they're on a hot streak and Carolina's on a to me it looks like they're on a cold streak but I'll I'll watch it a little bit more like the one thing the one thing I I felt about Carolina like why did they lose the Eastern Conference final last year one Florida was a little bit better and number two they could not score I've always felt since then like, do they need another finisher? Do they need another score? And maybe it's as simple as that, but that's one of the things I do wonder here with them. Do they need another finisher? You? Oh, boy. Um, I think this is a highly skilled team that is frustrating to play against. Yeah. And I think that, like, I'm with you. I think they need another score. But I still think they need to get dirtier. I still think it's a team. Like they're again, they're frustrating to play against. Like ask anyone that plays against. Are you calling Carolina Rod Brindamore soft? No, but I'm saying they don't. They scream to you as they need more players that are nasty to play against. Like you look at all the Cup champions of recent note. What do they all have in common? Well, certainly the blue line. But you can make the argument that Carolina might have the best blue line in the entire NHL. Yep. But they also have players that are miserable to play against. Not just frustrating to play against, but miserable to play against. Vegas had those guys. Listen, Florida had those guys. Tampa had those guys. Colorado had those guys. If I'm Carolina, that's what I'm thinking. We're frustrating to play against, mm -hmm. but are we miserable? to play against. I don't know that I can say yes. I don't know. I, I think they are. I, I think they're pretty relentless. They are. No, but that's a distinction. I can't wait till Brendan Moore listens to this podcast and tells his <laughs> team that you think they're soft. You're not understanding the distinction. They're frustrating. To when Brendan Moore punches you in the face, do you, you think it's going to hurt? I do. <laughs> no, because I can run faster scared than he can angry. I, I don't, I don't so know that's, if that's true. Even <laughs> well, if, maybe not. I guess Rod Brendan Moore. <laughs> yeah, it's Rod Brendan Moore, man. That's actually an excellent point. I think there's nothing physically that he can't do. If you told me that he could run 
a hundred meters in 10 seconds, I would believe it. And if, <laughs> if you told me that he could win the Olympic powerlifting contest, I'd believe yeah. it quite potentially do both at the same time. Wow. So I do not believe that you can outrun him. Not for a second. Nor do I. Let me fly through a couple of things here because I do want to get to the Tandem interview and we have the Montana's uh, thought line. Yeah. Let's get to, uh, real quick, you know, early on this week, we talked a lot about three-on-three coming out of the general manager's meeting and again, it's tabled for, for next March as well. A lot of discussion about what to do with this thing. And by the end of it, you know what I kind of got around to thinking? Is there really that big a problem with three-on-three? I, I know it's not five minutes of sprints that we always want. But is there that big a problem that we have to come up with a goofy mechanism to try to force these guys to to go end to end for five minutes? Obviously, first of all, I have no problem with people talking about it. That's number one. There's nothing wrong with brainstorming. There's no such thing as a bad idea, except a lot of them that you come up with on this podcast. You know, you, you know, what was interesting was someone reached out from the BCHL to me. And they said that this year, they pointed out this year, they went to three on three for 10 minutes. And the percentage of games gone to the shootout has dropped from 41 to 14. Yeah, they don't have a players association to deal with. Well, well look, like, why, why do you have to ruin it before I get to it? Like, <laughs> okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> everybody out there, Jeff is anti-union. <laughs> Not only does he think Rod Brindamore is soft, but Jeff oh, is anti-union. And any anyone else you hate oh. on this podcast? Oh, they're not going to be able to step into Coca-Cola Coliseum. All the Ayatsi guys are going to be oh, able to you're, get Oh, you're in big trouble there, man. Um, no done, question done. about it. Um, anyway, yes, you're right. And, you know, what's one of the things that the league said? They're not looking to change the format because that's something you have to do in conjunction with the players. That's actually a rule change. I actually think that might be the answer is go to 10 minutes of, of three on three. Like if that, if, if the whole idea is you see how it goes in other leagues, like if that's, if that's what's happening out there, that's some evidence for you. Another one of the things, and I reached out to someone I know who's, who else is involved with that league. And they told me that what you really see happen is you can't shorten the bench as much as you do in, in five minutes. Like you have to go deeper into your group than you do in a five minute overtime because guys get tired. So that leads to some even more scrambly play. Look, I think the easiest fix here, Jeff, is either a shot clock or if once you gain the blue line, if you pass it back out, play's blown dead, you give up a defensive zone draw. The problem with that is they don't want any more whistles. So you you have to do, I mean, look, if you really want to fix this problem, Jeff, I mean, if you really want to fix this, you know what you do. If you take the puck back out, pass it or carry it, it's a penalty. I just can't see them wanting to go there. I don't think so. But I'm curious to see what the players and the fan and, and the teams and the fans will will come up with. I'm sure there'll be good ideas. You know, the other one that I thought was kind of interesting, and it also takes a rule change, you can't just do it, is the whole idea of penalty shot, you get to pick the player on your team. Who takes it? I love that. Not just I the guy that. necessarily the guy who's fouled as it is now, but you get to pick the guy on your team who takes it. I've told you this story before, talking to the late Wade Bielak about this, and I asked Wade, you know, what would you do if you were pulled down on a breakaway and were awarded a penalty shot? And he said, I'd fake an injury. 
because there's no way I'd be helping my team if I was going to be the guy taking the penalty shot. I'd fake the injury and let Pat Quinn pick someone else, you know, Sundin or McGillney or whomever who could actually succeed at a at a penalty shot. I just see I just love moments where you force someone to choose something. Like I'm always, you know this about me, Elliot. Forced choice. You make a decision right now. That's Can I give you I another like one? Idea of, yeah, shoot. Okay, so I was doing my regular radio hit in Nashville this week. I do it every Thursday. And yep. uh, with uh, with Carolyn Fenton and the great Derek Mason and Willie Donick. And, you know, Willie Donick came up with an idea. He said, here's my idea for chaos. And this is right up your alley. Except it was actually a it. good idea. Not like oh, you. Hey. But oh, hmm. his idea was... If a team gets called for a bench minor, the team with the power play gets to choose who serves it. Mm, so then the question becomes, do you send the most skilled player into the box or their best penalty killer? Exactly. That finds a home with me because you're forcing a <laughs> choice. It. I knew you were going to love Anytime that. you can force When Willie brought that up choose. on the air, I, first of all, I told him, <laughs> I said to him, do you have 31 more thoughts for me this week? And secondly, I said, Merrick's going to love that. I do because you're forcing someone to choose. It's great. It's like choose your opponent in the playoffs. Force a choice. Don't worry about your feelings about, oh, I don't want to offend anybody and all the niceties around sports, blah, 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 blah. Force a choice. I, the more that I think about, Willie, take the rest of the week off. <laughs> Willie, you just earn yourself a corner office. Good thing it's Friday. Willie, yeah. bravo, bravo. Yeah, exactly. Could you imagine that? Just think about it like a big game in the Stanley Cup final. You know, you're playing against Vegas and the other coach says, Petrangelo. You're serving it. So good. See, that's one of the reasons why, you know, every now and then we entertain the idea of getting rid of offsides. And what always flies back is, well, what about the player that's just going to, you know, cherry pick or goal suck at the other end? It's like, well, that's fine, but it's forcing a choice. You can either defend that player or take the odd man advantage in the offensive zone. It's a gamble, but you're forcing a choice. I think in sports, that's part of the intrigue and that's part of the drama and that's part of the excitement. Teams are forced to deliberately make a choice. And I think if you're a sport like hockey, you should be trying to force as many of those into your game as possible. That's why I love it. You know, Elliot, going into the Columbus-Arizona matchup, we looked at this and said, ooh, head-to-head, Logan Cooley, Adam Fantilli. But coming out of it, the story was Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine, comma, benched in the third period of a one-goal game. A lot of benchings this year so far, Elliot. A lot of benchings. Columbus has been the epicenter of this. You know, Huberto got a lot of attention, obviously, because he's playing in, in Canada, and that always adds another layer to it. But Columbus has been the most consistent. Now, this isn't the first time for Goudreau. The one for Line a sticks out to me a bit because he's just coming back from a concussion, right? An injury that cost him a couple of weeks and... You always wonder, does a player who's been through that and is coming from that, do they get a longer leash? And the answer was no. Obviously, if they felt that Line wasn't doing what they wanted or giving the effort they wanted, they just said, you know what, this is the program and we're sticking to it. You know, Columbus to me is really interesting. Um, They've been a team that has definitely not stopped looking for centers. 
They got a couple extra D. We've mentioned Peak a lot. I think some teams have been in there to look at Boakfist too. So Columbus is interested in dealing. So we've been talking about Columbus for a while now, working on some things like that. I just wonder if we ever get to the point here where maybe Columbus is talking about some bigger deals than we thought because of the, all the benching that they're doing and the messages that they're sending. Like, I don't have a problem, Jeff, with tough love. I don't. If my boss doesn't feel like I'm giving my best, they have every right in the world to say to me, you're not doing it. And if it doesn't get better, they can demote me or they can take me off the air or whatever. Uh, But, you know, Jeff, I always try to put myself in everybody's shoes here and imagine if this was to happen to me in a work environment. And eventually you get to a point where someone says, this isn't working or what's the solution here? Or I just don't want to keep getting benched all the time. And, you know, if you're not playing well, that's on you. But if you begin to wonder if the fit makes sense, I just wonder where all of this goes. Okay, quick. Um, Patrick Kane, decision time coming. I think there's eight meetings or Zoom meetings set up this week. I, I think he's got a couple more. It sounds like the number is approximately eight. And, and I think this is not so much about contract as it is about feel. You know, getting talking to the teams, the, the, the coaches, the GMs, where do you envision Kane playing? Um, you know, how do you see him fitting in the roster, power play? Um, I, I think all of those things. You know, I, I think Kane, one of the things he has to do is make a decision I've heard at times he's talked about a one-year deal, playing somewhere this year, seeing how it goes. I've also heard talk about that maybe he might be uh, less interested in that because he doesn't want to move his family around as much, and he might be looking for a couple of years. He's not eligible to sign an over-35 deal because in the NHL, your age is determined by how old you are on July 1st. So he turns 35 actually on Sunday, happy birthday, Patrick, it doesn't matter at this point. Now, I know that the Toronto thing got kind of overturned. I'd heard rumors that he was going to talk to him, but the Maple Leafs were kind of looking at it like, hey, is that what we need or whatever flexibility we have, we might have to spend it elsewhere. So I'm still looking at uh, teams like Detroit, Buffalo, Florida. I've wondered about Carolina. Like we talked, uh, we talked on this in this podcast, Jeff, about Carolina needing scoring. You know, Kane can score, and so I, I, I still don't know where this is going to go yet. But I think that he's got about eight teams he's talked to or talking to, and then we go to the next point where he starts to narrow it down or pick his group. Does it feel to you like the Brad Richards? courtship well he's not flying around everywhere <laughs> just hearing lining up all the teams and all the zoom calls this is the uh the 2023 version of the brad richards courting around the nhl um it's an intriguing one you know i would have to think that we've talked a lot about dallas as well i wouldn't be surprised if if they talk to kane this week we'll see i i don't think it's going to be dallas like i i think he would like to play there you know 
we talk in this podcast about about Tanev and Zadorov and and everything. I think that Dallas is going to go out to try to find the best defenseman they can find. That's my guess as to what they're going to do. So I think Kane would love to play there. Um, I just don't know if the fit's going to be possible. Let me throw another team out at you. Okay. The New York Islanders. Talk about looking for a goal scorer, looking for more offense. Yeah, it's not the worst idea. Again, he fits with what they need. They need scoring. I, it'll be interesting to me if he picks best opportunity to win this year or best opportunity over the next couple of years. You know, to me, if he's doing a couple of years, that increases Buffalo's chances yes. to me. Detroit, I think, is a really intriguing one, too. There's, you know, like, again... I always thought it was going to be about this year. Now I'm not sure it's just going to be about this year. I think Kane has to decide. And we've talked a lot about Florida. I don't, I don't want to name half the league because it's kind of weak move, actually. <laughs> but the biggest challenge for me right now is, is figuring out if it's a one-year deal or it's a multi-year deal because that changes the equation. Just a, a couple notes before we head to the thought line. A couple things I wanted to shout out. Heroes Hockey. Yes. I was at a charity event for them uh, in Toronto at the Steam Whistle Brewery on Thursday night. Just a, a fantastic event. Harna Ryan Singh was the MC, and he did a great job. Uh, Rob Kerr was also part of the presentation, and he did a great job. It was a great event, like a, a, a really uh, spectacular event. And there, the thing that was most impressive about it, a lot of very generous people attended. You know, people who uh, donated to something that will make a real difference. And I thought it was great to be at. And the final thing I would like to do, Jeff, before we go to the thought line is apologize for the fact that there was no written blog this week. I promise I'm not getting lazy. It was just one of those weeks. You're excused. Okay, on that, we'll uh, we'll hit a break. There was a lot in there. Um, and we were trying to be economical this week. Nice, tr- nice try, guys. Uh, you're going to hear from Chris Tanov coming up in a couple of moments, but up next, the Montana's Thought Line, some very thoughtful emails and phone calls from you. Stay tuned for that in a moment. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Elliot, time now for the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Try the ribs. 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca is the email, 1-833-311-3232. Say it slower, dummy. Not everyone has a pen handy. 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca, 1-833-311-3232. We talked about pet peeves last episode, Elliot, and we got a couple of voicemails and a couple of emails about it as well. John from Hawaii. Man, am I envious of you, John, in Me Hawaii. Me too. One of my father's pet peeves were when the announcer would call it a, quote, 1-1 one, one tie or a 3-3 three, three tie. What else could it be if it's 3-3? Three, three? <laughs> to which I thought... 
There's like, oh cause I got a couple God. of these this oh week. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, you'll, you'll I, like this one. And only I, I you, would, remind, no other normal podcaster yeah. would select this as one of no, the No, come on. This is why podcasts were created for like petty grievances. Um, <laughs> whenever I hear the phrase pre-scout, whenever I hear the phrase pre-scout, I cringe. You know why? Because all scouting is pre-scouting, Elliot. Oh, all scouting oh, is pre so It's like the great it's like the great Mitch Hedberg used to say, Hey, you want to see a picture of me when I was younger? Every picture of you is a picture of you when you were younger. Oh. Um it's true, Elliot. And by the way, you ever think about how you, how it's possible? No, I don't think about it. To take an elevator down. I don't think about it. You don't think about how weird it is that we say take an escalator down? Hmm, how can you escalate downwards? Anyhow, John in Hawaii, thank you so much for that one. Let's this get to is, a voicemail like, this here. This is the worst. This is this is your punishment at the end of the week. This is Nick in Chicago. <laughs> this, is, this is my punishment for letting you select the emails <laughs> and the questions. Go, Nick. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Elliot. I'll keep it quick, but I was listening to the most recent episode. Jeff was ranting about how she how he doesn't like um, good goal and slot yeah. area. I've never felt so vindicated <laughs> in my life. I can't stand oh. the other one. Second chance opportunity. Oh. It's said all the time. It's just a second chance. You don't need the opportunity. All right. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Eee, I just, swear to God, Jeff, if every one of these is like this, uh, I am leaving I right just, now. I just live to tor- – at this point, like – I just live to torture you, Elliot. I just love it. I really, really do. Uh, I just love uh, hearing your and imagining your eyeballs rolling to the back of your head. Um, here you don't we... have to imagine it. It actually just did happen. Okay. Here is one that is the sweet spot of the bat for you. This is from Steve. Hi, Jeff, Elliot, and Dom. Longtime listener to the pod. Love how you guys keep me connected to the NHL with a busy schedule. I saw today the Canadians recalled Gustav Lindstrom and loaned... Yoel Armia to the American Hockey League. I've seen this a few times this year with players being loaned. How does this differ from waivers? And is this a way to skirt another team from picking up your guy? Always keep up the good work, even you, Elliot. That from Steve. Well, no, the thing is, uh, for example, with a player like Armia, uh, when they're called back up, you have a 30-day clock. So if the 30-day clock isn't expired yet, and that would be the case with Armia you can loan them back down. And the other thing here too is, is that people think that when you clear waivers, the 30 day clock begins then. That's not correct. It's when you call them back up. So they were called Armia on October 21st. So they had another few days before he would have to clear waivers again. So that's why that they can loan him instead of waive him. That's the, that's the important distinction. Thank you, Steve, for the uh, for the email there. Uh, another Steve, this one from Salmon Arm, British Columbia. Hey, Jeff and Elliot, the situation with Jack Campbell going down to Bakersfield has made me curious about how much authority NHL teams have over their AHL affiliates. For example, when the Oilers sent Jack Campbell down to Bakersfield, could they say something like, quote, you must start Campbell for 10 games in a row so he finds his confidence or are decisions like that still up to the AHL coaching staff? What if the AHL coach didn't want to play Campbell at all? Thanks, guys. Then I hope he can find a new job very quickly. Now, ultimately, <laughs> true. You know, ultimately, the AHL is a developmental league. That That is the thing that is key here. They will always try to do what is the best for the development of their players. Now, 
they also understand you've got to sell tickets, you, you've got to try to win, and they will try to create environments where if things aren't going very well, they'll switch it up. But ultimately, if the Oilers said to Bakersfield, we need Campbell to play, I don't know if he'd get 10 games in a row, especially with the way the AHL schedule is set up, but he yeah. would get a lot of games. All right, that's a, that's a good one. We're going to do one more email and then a voicemail as well. Dave in Vancouver... And in brackets, go Sens. So a Sens fan living in Vancouver. Uh, hey, Jeff, and L-Dog. I like L-dog. that. L-Dog. Oh, L-Dog. E-L-L-D-O-G. You're J-Dog. Right? L- Dom is D-Dog. Right, no. There's already the O-Dog. Oh, no, no, We're going to no. fill up the whole oh, no. alphabet. Oh, no. Uh, the segment's gone to the... Um, if a player cheats on a face-off, they will get thrown out from the dot, and a new player will come in to take the draw. What happens if the next player cheats on the draw and the next and the next until each player on a team has tried to take the draw? And wouldn't this be a good strategy if a tired line was on the ice and needed a bit of a breather? First of all, this sounds like a very it sounds like a very Roger Nielsen idea, but Elliot, there's a simple explanation for this one on the second player that comes in. It's a penalty. Yeah, two players kicked out. It's a minor penalty. Because you're right. Somebody would try to exploit it. There's no question about that. And that person would have been Roger Nielsen. Or Jeff. Who looked for... (laughs) Uh, Let's finish up with a voicemail. Al from Boston. Shoot, Al. Hey, guys. Great podcast. It's the only one I listen to. And there are dozens of them out there. You're a genius. Uh, You brought up Gudis' goal this week. Ah. And it was a mighty duck of Anaheim type goal. Well... I'm going to show my age, but back in probably 72, 73, Carol Vadney, when he was on the Bruins, had a knack of shooting it from the red line like a wiffle ball. It would go up in the lights and come down right near the net. And I remember it clearly against the Vancouver Canucks. Ed Dick was the goalie. Yeah, I'm showing my age. And uh, Vadney did it, I think, twice in one season. He would let us fly from the red line as soon as he got over it so it wouldn't be icing. And he had a knack for it to bounce within a couple of feet in front of the net and just totally fool the goalie. Don't know if there's any video or any YouTube from back in those days, but uh, <laughs> I think that beat out Gudis's. You Keep know, the great work guys. Thanks. Uh, Alan Boston. That is a great call. Outstanding. I love polls like that. And two players come to mind for me, Elliot. And, and actually before we get there, I've always thought that's a great strategy. Like if you talk to goaltenders, pucks that bounce in front of them, you know where it's going? Who knows? Who knows? So, like, as far as the strategy of, of throwing a puck high in front of a goaltender, I think it's a really smart one because it just might get past the goalie because they don't know where it's going to end up. Two players come to mind. Like Jim Dory, who was a real tough defenseman too, Elliot. You mm-hmm. remember Dory. Mm-hmm. His nickname was Flipper. He actually used to have the record for most penalty minutes in one game since broken. Yes, absolutely. And his nickname was Flipper because of how he used to flip pucks. And the other that comes to mind, Ron McLean always talks about him, J.C. Tremblay. J.C. Tremblay would do that as well, like right around center, flip pucks high on goaltenders. I've always thought it's a tremendous strategy to, to do it. Every now and then we do see it. Um, I think it was Rob Davison who did it on Vesa Toscala in an Islanders-Leafs game uh, years and years ago. Every now and then you see it, and it's kind of a goof. I've always kind of thought it's a good strategy, no, Fridge? I have to say I like the Carol Vadnia reference. A really good player yeah. who kind of got lost in one of the NHL's biggest trades, Brad Park for Phil Esposito. Vadnia was part of that deal, and he kind of gets lost because of just 
of the two other players and also Jean Rattel being in there, right? So yeah. uh, I, I like the reference. The guy I used to like who would scored from a long way away, and it wasn't because he flipped it, it's because he added an absolute blast of a shot, was Gaston Gingra. There was a time... Oh. When Gingra was traded from Montreal to Toronto, like there was just no room for him to play in Montreal. He comes to yeah. Toronto and he would tee them up from basically center ice and there would be a gasp from the audience because they knew there was a chance he could score. He fooled some goalies from there. So, yeah. you know, it was the only guy I remember as a kid going to games in Maple Leaf Gardens where if he teed it up from center ice, the audience thought this guy might actually score from here. So it's different, but I remember it. Do you remember what else used to happen when Gaston Gingras would wind up? Okay, no. The season ticket holders would duck (laughs) because sometimes that puck went all over the place. I'm with you. He could shoot hard, but man, was he wild sometimes. (laughs) Holy smokes. Thanks for taking me down memory lane with Gaston Gingras. That's a good one. Well, before we wrap it up and send it to Tanev, by the way, did you see that thing with Tamu Solani and Brett Hull. Uh, yeah, you sent that to us this afternoon. That was great. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but I laughed my way through it. Uh, it's pretty entertaining. Let's uh, let's hit a break. Uh, when we come back, you will hear from Chris Tanev of the Calgary Flames on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco about really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the defensemen that's emerged as someone who's highly coveted around the NHL as the Calgary Flames perhaps could be open for business. Well, let's face it, they are open for business. Uh, is Chris Tanev, uh, dependable defenseman, great teammate everywhere he's always gone. Um, players love him, fans love him, coaches love him, dependable, hardworking D. Elliot caught up with Chris Tanev a couple of weeks ago when Calgary was in Toronto. We'll play the majority of that interview for you now. Here's Chris Tanev on 32 Thoughts. So I'm going to give you a quote, and I'm going to ask you who said this about you, okay? Yeah. Chris Tanev is so relaxed, he looks like he's playing hockey holding a cigarette. Your colleague now, Mm -hmm. my former teammate, uh, Kevin Bieksa. He told you that to your face, I guess, eh? I think I, he said it in the media, I think initially, and then sort of uh, talked about it after, but I think it was, I don't know, after one of the playoff games maybe in mm-hmm. my in my rookie year, but um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, Kevin was awesome to me, so he um, he, he treated me great uh, when I got to Vancouver, so I'm, I, I think he enjoys working with you as well. So. 
I'm not so sure that's true, but we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one thing he really remembered about you, I was talking to him earlier today, and he said that he was actually worried about your career because you were so patient and you weren't afraid to wait an extra second to make the proper pass that you were having guys like Chris Neal just paste you into the boards over and over again at that time. Yeah, I was getting I was getting smacked around pretty good. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, it's, it's part of the game. I mean, I think just being able to break the puck out and I I mean I've always been willing to take a hit I was always a smaller kid growing up so that was sort of always part of my game but definitely in my early few years of my career I got uh I got whacked a couple times I mean I think Jordan Tutu hit me once and my stick he hit me sort of below the goal line in our little in our end and I think my stick flew to center ice he hit me so hard but uh, that's one I'll, I'll always remember did you, when you played with Lucic in Calgary, did you ever say to him, was there ever any joke about that, about any time he ran you or anything like that? Oh, he, he, just, he just used to say, uh, like, he'd just keep putting it in my corner and I'd hit me, break the puck out, hit me, break the puck out, sort of, that he, I don't know, he sort of respected that I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't shy away from, from getting hit from him. But, I mean, he was uh, obviously a... a still is a, a very good player and mm-hmm. a physical body so I mean um we'd, we'd always joke around about that and then he'd always joke around about beating us uh, in the finals that year which uh, obviously sucks you know that's the one joke I won't make ever yeah. with Kevin I, I I won't do that I when I worked uh when I worked CFL football I once made a joke about a player who uh, never won and I saw the look on his face and I said to myself I am never doing that again and Kevin has no governor but mm-hmm. I do and that's the one joke I will never ever make yeah I mean it's always it's tough to talk about but I mean it's it's part of the part of the journey and and, and you learn from it for sure so I mean I even though we we lost I had a, a great experience and learned so much from from the guys uh, that year what, what do you remember about coming into play in those playoffs because Guys got hurt. You yeah. got put in the middle. Yeah, I was sort of like I got called up almost around I think Christmas that year, and I think I basically stayed up the rest of the, the year, um, sort of in and out of the lineup. Um, and then Sammy Sallow got healthy uh, towards the end of the year. He tore his Achilles. Mm-hmm. I think mean, he had some weird freak injuries, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think he tore his Achilles playing like ball hockey in the summer. So he. He was coming back uh, sort of right at the end of the year, and then I stopped playing. And then, um, yeah, right at, in San Jose, um, a couple guys got hurt uh, in one game. I think Hoffer got hurt and maybe Aaron Rome, I'm not sure. And then I, I ended up playing, uh, getting in games, and, and sort of just, just kept playing from there. What do you remember about that first step on the ice for a playoff game? Um, dressing def- room yeah, before. definitely nerve wracking, but you don't ex- strike but me exci- as nervous but exciting, yeah. but exciting. I think you want to be in that moment for sure. Um, but it's funny. I really don't remember much. I mean, like even game seven, we lost. I don't remember really the stuff I remember is, uh, uh them holding us in a room because of the riots and sort of everyone with their family and not leaving the rink, but much really the game, I, it's sort of like blacked out in in my mind. Um, I don't know if, for what reason, but I don't don't remember much of that game. I want to take you back to your younger. You know, every year in Brandon's route was different. You guys both stopped playing for a while. 
I mean, I've got to think there was a point in your life where the idea of you being here, this deep into your NHL career, must the idea of it must have been just insane. Yeah, I mean, there is when I was well, I didn't so I didn't play hockey grade ten and eleven like competitively. So, I mean, I was working. I was. Working at Pizza Pizza, making making pizzas. So I you're did. one of the pizza makers. Yeah, I was. I made a terrible pizza. So sorry <laughs> if anyone uh, was getting Pizza Pizza at uh, at the exhibition or Ontario Place, but I wasn't making very good pies. But um, yeah, I mean, I was working at Pizza Pizza, then at Dominion, now Metro. Stockboy. No, I was in uh, in the meat department, so I would basically package meat and clean up. After, what was it? disgusting job but cleaning up all all the blood and everything after oh, every wow. night but um yeah that's what that's what i was doing and then hanging out with my my buddies and trying to make enough money to sneak into the bar and, and have a couple drinks but um yeah things changed really really quickly when did you i'm just imagining you in a pizza pizza yeah. apron or a dominion apron and all of that going on what brought you back um, I grew a lot. I was until I was when I was 17 years old, I think I was still five feet tall. So I was tiny. Um, and I had previously gotten cut from a lot of teams. I wasn't really enjoying that, um, enjoying hockey. And then sort of, I honestly, my dad is a the reason I got back playing, I went to, uh, I would have just went to university. I was a good student. So, I mean, I, I always had good grades, so I probably would have just ended up, uh, going to, going to school somewhere in, in Ontario and, and hanging out with my buddies. But I mean, he, he always believed in me and then sort of knew, knew how good I was. And, uh, once I grew it, a couple doors opened up and um, I was able to take advantage of them. Now your dad's name is Mike, but I'm curious, have you ever thought if, if you hadn't had that growth spurt and you hadn't ended up doing this, what would you be doing now? What so were you going like, to school it, for? I yeah. mean, I, in grade 12, I applied to, I don't know, all the Canadian, all the big Canadian universities and in, in Ontario anyways, and I was going to study finance. So, I mean, I think I got in ever, everywhere I applied. I was, a, I was a smart student. So, what were your math grades like? Um, I my average was like low nineties in, in school, so I was I was a good student. I struggled with uh, like music, art. I was that that wasn't my my thing. And <laughs> I'm a then terrible like, artist too, yeah. And then sort of English class, I was as a major subject that was like my worst one. I just I don't. I'm not a very very good writer and sort of my my wife still makes fun of that uh, about me she says I write backwards but um <laughs> um but yeah I was I was probably gonna go to school for finance um and obviously things changed and sort of my mom dad uh both were were supportive of me and and trying to get back into hockey um and being able to sort of go from not really playing at all to um playing junior a and so your mom's name is my mom's name Sophie. So Sophie, my, yeah. My so my parents split up mm-hmm. when I was in grade nine, mm-hmm. I think. Anyway, around there. So I I ended up me Brandon Kyle ended up living with my mom. She had a, a bigger house sort of at Greenwood and Danforth here mm-hmm. in Toronto, and um, 
yeah, that sort of, I'm just, I was thinking about it on the way here and I was like, they, my parents didn't have a ton of money and to be able to support three kids and, in triple a hockey is growing up was is crazy because mm-hmm. to me i mean i i have one and it's uh <laughs> it, it takes a lot but i mean to for three kids and how much money hockey costs and um being able to get up to the rink and back every day so i mean i thankfully my our grandparents helped quite a bit and my my grandfather basically took me to all my games which was uh which was awesome and my dad would take brandon and and my mom would take uh, my younger brother kyle mm-hmm so what was so what was your grandfather's best advice to you? What would he say to you? He was always the uh he was my biggest fan. He never missed a game. So um whether it was minor hockey or once I started playing junior, he but he was he didn't speak that great of English, but um he, when he would speak Macedonian to me, I I could understand, but um he was like the middle ground between me and my dad. So like you know, if I had a bad game, my dad would be all over me and he'd basically be like, Mike, shut up. Like <laughs> he's working hard and, you know, he's, he's trying and, um, yeah, he was a huge, he had a huge role in my life. So. Okay. Um, when you got to college, I know when you decided to go pro, there was quite a recruiting battle over you from some NHL teams. What do you remember about all of a sudden people are saying, you know, Chris, you're going to go to the NHL here. You're going to have a shot. Yeah, it was honestly, it went from zero to a hundred really quick. Uh, we were, we had a great team at RIT and, um, just started, started winning and and rolling and I was playing great and I had a great D partner. Um, and Dan Ringwald, who was a senior, um, helped me a ton and he was really smart player, really talented player. And, um, I, we just we won our our conference, sorry, and so then we got an automatic bid into the tournament, and um, I think we were fifteenth ranked. So we played two D- Denver and upset them, and then beat five New Hampshire, like beat actually beat them. Denver, we sort of got lucky. Our goalie made a, a, a bajillion saves, <laughs> but um, but yeah, then sort of after that going, it was like, there's like a two week break after that. And then you go into the frozen four and we played, uh, in that outdoor, it was in, sorry, in Ford field in Detroit. Yeah. So it was in the football stadium. And yeah. at the time, I think it was like the biggest, um, college game that happened. So we, there was two weeks in between there and all of a sudden stuff started, went from like, I had zero clue teams were even looking at me and then all of a sudden there's eight ten teams trying to watch me play and then after that weekend all of a sudden everyone wanted to interview me and and talk to me so it went from like nothing and then in two three weeks it was I have to decide between seven or eight teams um where where I'm gonna play and I didn't and I was my whole plan was always to stay in college and and I was little i was same height as i am but i was super scrawny and what did um, you weigh at the time i think it was in the 160s so and what are you now like 210 no now i'm like just under 200 okay. but um so i i was always planning to stay because i figured i like i needed to get stronger and um even after we lost in in the frozen four it was like i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stay and then uh just sort of taking advice from people and 
you could always go back to school sort of thing right if if this is your could be your one opportunity and, and only opportunity um to go play which um my dad was definitely stressing um so it ended up being a, a, a really good decision and uh, I'm th- very thankful for. What do you remember about, like, who was the first team you talked to? Like, who was the first team that said, you know, Chris, we want you? Um, so I think Washington initially saw me and so they're, they're good for the people scouting from Washington. We're good friends with our, my college coaches. So mm-hmm. they, I think they played a Bowling Green together. And mm-hmm. so I think they initially saw me and then um, sort of, once one it was like once one team saw me then there was 10 teams but um and then Dave Gagne um yep. Sam's father I, we played sort of against each other growing up for for some time so mm-hmm. and we played roller hockey together so he was um working with Vancouver then and in, in player development and um him and Stamps Stamps meal sorry uh Steamer were were running that thing and I talk to them and I think they they be, them in Ottawa sort of became the the most interested teams in, in me I think you know the joke in Vancouver was that Dave Gagne and Stan Smeal fought each other to to, to argue who took more credit for <laughs> bringing Chris Tanev there yeah no uh, both awesome awesome people um yeah Dave uh definitely helped me a ton uh and then he he sort of moved on from yep uh obviously he's in in the agency business now, but, and then steamer is just a nicest, nicest man alive and would sort of do anything for you. And it was, uh, th- those two really helped, um, push me along, which was awesome. Was there ever a time you regretted picking Vancouver? No. I mean, I, there is a, there is a, I talked to a bunch of other teams and, some teams their GM was there some it wasn't so I mean you can tell sort of which teams really wanted you right if, mm-hmm. if there was just a couple of the player development guys there and then in, in an hour you're going to meet with Mike Gillis and Lauren Henning and mm. Dave Gagne and Stan Smeal you're like okay this team wants me a little bit more I think than than the other team and I think the two front runners were Vancouver and Ottawa sort mm. of um and both had really good meetings with them. And then I think just because of knowing Dave, um, just you were going to get an honest look, right? That's all I never wanted is if, if I was good enough to play, would, would they call me up just cause I'm not a first round pick. I'm, I'm a college free agent that no one knows about. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that, and they said they would. And I mean, in like two and a half months sort of in the minors they, they called me up after that which was which is awesome so you walk into a room with Biaxa, Kessler the Sedins Burroughs Luongo what was it like there when you what do you, what do you remember about the first time meeting all these guys oh uh, my first game was in Colorado and I think I was still a little little skinny kid and uh I think I took my shirt off and Keith Ballard was like oh my god you're gonna get killed <laughs> And he was, uh, I don't know, it was probably 100, I think it was 168 pounds or 170 pounds my my first year. So I wish Roger Takahashi, our strength coach, was here. He would, he he knew all that stuff. But um, yeah, just, uh, but I honestly, I just remember how great all the guys were and 
Bally was my partner for a while, and and Kevin and Dan Ham. He was mm-hmm. so so incredible to me. They sort of taught me everything. Taught me how to play. Taught me how I should act. How I should dress. Why am I eating this? Why aren't you eating this? And then you had the, the twins, who are the epitome of how you should do everything. I mean, they're the hardest workers, best in shape, best players. And then there's guys like Manny Malhotra yeah, who pro Manny was basically a coach, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, you have bad periods and the coach doesn't want to come in between periods. Manny's up on the, on the whiteboard, be like, guys, all right, if we do this, 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 we're going to, we're going to win the game. And, and sure enough, we, I mean, we had a really good team and, and we'd always, always come back. But just, I, what I would remember is how, how great they treated me and how, um, welcoming uh, all the guys were you know there's a couple of things there that really you said that really stand out and i've had guys tell me that they'll show up and um you know i think everybody understands when you're you know some people don't don't have the best suits or anything yeah. like that and there will be a player who will pull them aside and say come with me yeah. i'm gonna get you some stuff so you just don't worry about it just look a little better did that happen to you yeah, I mean, I feel like I dressed okay, but I still like Manny would Manny would be like, "Hey, come on, kid, let's uh, we're gonna go to the store," and he'd be like, "All right, this looks good. This doesn't look good." Um, but just even, I mean, I went from eat, eating at in college, right? We're eating at garbage uh, restaurants, just trying to eat as much as we can and on the cheapest we can, right? Yeah, we of course. Didn't, ha- didn't have any money and. Mm-hmm. Going now, we're going out to the best restaurants in in cities, and I was very like very overwhelmed. But I mean, those guys took took care of me so well, and I mean, I that's one thing. I'll as I I've gotten older, I try I've always tried to do is with younger guys. I mean, if if there's anything they need, you know, um, I feel like I try to be there for them. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think I paid for a dinner in my first like three years in the league because. Just mm-hmm. how good I'd always go out and Bally would be like, No, kid, I got it tonight. When you're when you're thirty, make sure you pay for for the kids coming up now, right? So mm-hmm. I mean it's sort of and and that's the stuff that I'll, I'll always remember from those guys. So there was no rookie dinner for you that you had to do? No, like yeah. rookie dinner, but yeah. I'm just saying like we go if, tonight if we're gonna go to I don't know, Harbor Sixty or yeah. something, like I they would never make. They would never even let me. I'd always try to pay. They'd be like, "No, mm-hmm. you're not paying." When you sign a big deal, take care of the the, the young guys that mm-hmm. come up, and sort of that's that's always stuck with me uh, for sure. So, what was your rookie dinner like? Do you remember? My rookie dinner was sucked. It was in Minnesota <laughs> on like a Tuesday. We went curling and to dinner and then out. But I mean, I've been to a lot better ones than, than mine. <laughs> Who picked that? I, I think the schedule was just not great. Uh, and it wasn't we didn't have a lot of rookies, so um, I think I was me and me and Cody Hodge and right. maybe were the only ones. So I mean, it was tight schedule and tried to fit it in, and, and I think that's that's how it was. <laughs> who was a good curler? Who I don't know. I I feel like Cammer would be Dan Hamus yeah. would be. A, who was I have bad? no clue. Um, Yannick Hansen, probably. <laughs> I don't know. He's in media now. He's going to yeah, get I you know. for that. <laughs> I, I miss Yannick. I haven't <laughs> spoken to him in a while, but he's awesome. So now, 
when you're in Calgary and you're a veteran, who are the guys that you really take care of? Like, you've got a bunch of guys who've been called up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now we we had such an old team the last yeah. the last few years. We haven't really had any any young guys, but I mean, obviously, Dubes. Uh, mm-hmm. I try to be as helpful to him as I can, and and Rosichka and mm-hmm. Vladdy. Um, mm-hmm. But now now we have like sort of an influx of, mm-hmm. of young guys coming. So I mean, it's just it's just little things you know just talking to them if they need anything making sure they're they're not afraid to ask mm-hmm. and um if they have any questions that that we can handle it i mean it doesn't have to be me right there, we have a, a good group a bunch of older guys that whoever they're comfortable with mm-hmm. talking with they they can go seek some advice and then sort of uh, go from there okay um the summer you became a free agent did you like? Did you ever envision a day you wouldn't be in Vancouver anymore? I was, I was curious if you're going to ask me this, but um, yeah, I did not. No, I, I thought I was for sure going to be back in Van. Um, and then, sort of, I was right after the bubble. Um, obviously, a lot of COVID stuff, and so I was just sort of waiting and waiting for a contract, waiting, and they tell Wade my agent it's coming it's coming but I mean I think they were trying to make some some other moves mm-hmm. and sort of I was I was on the back burner um which was fine um it's it's part of the part of uh part of the business of hockey but I I definitely didn't envision me not being in Vancouver when did it hit you that it was going to change uh when I didn't have an offer uh, going into to free agency so um and then it's sort of like, oh, oh baby, um, it's it's going to change. And um, and I was sort of upset by it all. And, I mean, I think if I did it again, you know, you, maybe you take a bit of the emotion away from it. Because they, they did end up offering me sort of a couple hours into free agency. And I was already sort of upset. And I didn't... didn't uh, didn't really want to want to be back at that at that point because I want to go where I wanted to go somewhere where people wanted me right so and um, Calgary and a couple other teams were were interested sort of throughout the day and as the dominoes fell um, Wade called me he's like hey he's got a really good offer from Calgary what do you think and I was like yeah let's 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 take it so um, yeah as I said it's it was a super super tough decision but um, it's sort of I think made it for itself when I didn't really get an offer until uh, until out a couple hours into free agency. I, I, I had been there for a long time, so been there for ten years, and I feel like I uh, definitely gave my heart and soul uh, every game. So I mean, it was it was definitely as you said. I I didn't think I wouldn't be a Canuck, but I I'm, I was happy uh, to to join Calgary and I I knew a lot of guys on the team already so it was such an easy transition for for me to come here. One of the things guys tell me is that when you don't know what's going to happen on July 1st or whatever day it was that year um it's it's a whirlwind. Like especially if you get a bunch of teams call and all of a sudden you're sitting there especially if you're married like you are and you're you're saying I, I our whole life is about to change and uh, like that what was that like for you? Yeah, the, honestly, the whole day I was I was definitely the most uh, ner- I don't know if nerve wracking, but mix of emotions sort of throughout the day. Because uh, going to bed that night, I was like, okay, 
we think a couple teams are interested we'll we'll see what happens sort of when whenever the time is i don't know if it's 10 or noon mm -hmm. uh, breaks and then it was sort of slow in the morning um and you're like oh man what the what's going on here i'm where, not gonna have a job like next year. yeah where am i gonna go and and then stuff picks up and then vancouver sort of offered me a two-year deal and then it was like no these teams are gonna offer you a four-year deal where do you want to go and it was very very much uh, a whirlwind of emotions for sure um and I, I was I was happy with the with the decision I made at the end. What? How did Calgary sell you? Um, I knew so I knew Gio mm. well. Um, I knew Monty. I knew Johnny a little bit. I knew Luch. I knew seven or eight guys on the team, and it was sort of Gio was FaceTiming me like, "Come on, let's go uh, sign the deal." Blah blah blah. And I mean, it was um, then Luch would call me, and then so you felt like people people wanted you there, and it was. Uh, I so I think that sort of made the decision easier for me. When you th when you think back at your time here in Calgary so far, what are the things that stand out for you? What do you remember the most? Um, sort of for me, like personally, uh, getting hurt in that last game of Dallas. I wish I could have played uh, against Ed in the Edmonton series more than I did. Um, just I think we had a, a really good team that year and could have done something so, something special. We obviously came short and Edmonton beat us in, in five. We didn't really make it much of a series, but um, I think that that team was uh, we had a special group of guys uh, on and off the ice. We we gelled really well. So I mean I think coming up coming up short then uh, definitely sucked. But um, just moving forward i mean i think we we obviously underachieved last year and um sort of started this year hasn't gone to to plan but i mean we've we've there's been a lot of change so i mean the last few games have uh have been a lot better for us and we just need to keep uh keep that trend going i remember when you came back in that series against edmonton the one play on the goal when your arm yeah when hyman's hyman scored yeah first period uh, and we saw your arm and we like i can't imagine how hard it, i i nobody was surprised you played but i couldn't imagine how hard it was how much pain you were in yeah i mean i i hate when sort of everyone talks about that stuff because there's so many guys who play hurt and um play through stuff and only sometimes the media hears about certain guys right so i mean yep. um there's a lot of guys who are doing stuff and yeah, that was just a – I mean, it was obvious to see. I mean, my shoulder was would just pop out, so it's it's probably easy to see see on camera. But there's a lot of guys who are sort of have stuff hidden that no one knows about, right? And um, that's why I sort of don't like talking about it too much because there's, there's a lot of guys doing similar stuff that sort of don't get – maybe the attention uh they they deserve as well so let me try this way what is the worst injury in terms of pain that you ever had probably when i got the puck to my mouth mm -hmm. here in toronto i lost i don't know i think i lost seven teeth and all my gums up top are, are gone but i mean that was just the i don't know sitting in a dentist chair for 
eight hours in a day is like my worst nightmare now. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've had some, I sprained both my MCLs on the same play. Oh, I, I don't know if anyone's that done that, but guys on the team were calling me Bambi because I was walking <laughs> like a, a newborn deer that just came <laughs> That's the thing, like, you're uh, in pain, your teammates are ruthless. (laughs) Just ruthless. So that was, like, I literally couldn't walk almost. I had no, (laughs) both my knees were hurt. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I had a couple years where I I had some tough injuries. But uh, definitely I feel like I've overcome that and have been quite healthy the last uh, four or five years. Who, which of all, so to give credit, of all the players you played with, who was the guy who you said, I cannot believe this guy is playing through this? Hmm. Um, I think the Twins did a lot of stuff that that people don't know about. So I think as like Hanks got a bit older, his back wasn't great and he literally couldn't walk sometimes and he's out during the game and being he's the best player on the ice and uh i don't like no one no one knows about it mm. i think i i don't know i sort of how those guys conducted themselves was so awesome and and professional and they're um they didn't want any attention at all and uh it was sort of wanted everything to be about the team and and try to to succeed as as much as we could and they're uh, that that them and i mean kevin also I give him I give him some credit. He played through some a lot of tough stuff and I mean he's fingers and torn groins and, and stuff like that. But I think honestly I think the worst injury I've ever seen was Dan Hamus got hit in the face. Um Dan Boyle hit him mm-hmm. five on three slap shot and I think he broke his jaw in a bunch of places and he was like convulsing on the ice. That's how much pain he was in and I I'll never forget uh, forget that. I don't think. Okay, just uh, let's talk a little bit about Calgary. First of all, this year um, in the off season, I, I don't think anybody knew what this group was going to look like. And then when you came back, that it seemed there was some optimism. Michael signs. Just what was the overall feeling at, at the beginning of this year here? Yeah, um, obviously, big change with. Daryl gone and and Huss coming in, so we're we're changing a lot of how we play um, system wise, and I think guys were were excited um, to come back and and show that we were better than we played last year. Um, obviously, that hasn't come to fruition um, this year, but we've had good games, and we're the the last few games have definitely sort of. Uh, trending upwards and how we want to play so I think guys are still it's still early and I think we're we're eager to prove that we're we're a better team than we were last year and and how we've started this year one of your teammates said to me that the one thing he didn't realize was just how long it took to get over what happened with Edmonton and everything that happened last summer it just it took a lot longer than everybody thought do you think that's fair um I, I guess. I mean, I. You're not a guy who likes to make excuses. Yeah, I, I. I would say it's more like there was a lot of change last year than sort than losing to Edmonton. I would say it's more. You lose Chucky, you lose Johnny, and then Johnny Weegs, Naz come in, right? So it's a there's a big 
a big change in sort of the top um top guys on the team and it's it takes some time sometimes right so um it's just uh we we have great people on the team and Hubie's awesome and Weeks is awesome and Naz is awesome and we we all need to sort of continue to gel and and get better um just cuz i think there's there were so many highs the year before with um Lindy, Johnny and Chucky were the were the best line in hockey right so um there's maybe some adjustment from that perspective, but I think we we have the right character and, and right um, guys. We just need to to be able to put it together. Did you would you talk to Hubie after the game the other night? Like Kelly Rudy was really interesting on the air, just talking about. You could tell it, it pained Kelly to watch what was happening because he knows what that's like as a player. Would you ever talk to him? Yeah, like I, I think everyone's supportive of of Johnny, and we know how good he is. So I mean, it's you as a player, you never want to not play. So um, I think we're all we've all talked to him, and and just I think told him how important we think he is to the team, and and how good he is. So I think that's something that he's still adjusting to. I mean, it's been a big adjustment coming from Florida to Calgary, and I think there's a when you play in the east coming to play in the west i think that's i don't know if people agree with me but i think there's a the style of play in in conferences is can be very different and the east is more free-flowing a bit and things off the rush and the west can be a little more grinded out and you got to try to win two one and that's not always the case but i think that sort of there's a there's a change in style so i mean johnny's uh cares so much and i you can see that he, he cares and he wants to be the the best player he can for us and, and that's going to come um he just needs to continue to to work hard and I, I and i think he'll be fine um i've always wondered what makes chris tanov mad you're the calmest looking guy i think in this league what makes you mad not much uh i get scored against i get i get mad um yeah i like i i care so much about trying to win so um i may not show it but i i want to win so badly and um losing definitely can can eat at you um but i think if you're i don't know you have a bad game and you don't perform how you think you should be i i get i get quite upset i might not show it but um that sort of stuff i mean i i care a lot about hockey and i've been doing it for for such a long time so um as i said winning is is really what i want to do so um when things don't go your way or or things aren't going as well on a team it, it can be can get upset but i mean i never i don't know i'm not <laughs> i was wondering have you ever blown up in a dressing room like in an intermission or a post game i wouldn't say i like blow up work there's guys who will go in and break five sticks and f-bomb this <laughs> and curse this and i'm more of like i will i'll get mad and talk to guys i feel like it's if i'm given like a stern talk i think guys maybe respected um because i i don't talk as as much as other guys so um but 
No, I wouldn't say I have had a huge, huge blow ups. I get mad at myself all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll be on the bench yelling like Christopher, you're such an idiot. Or I, I'll, if I'm mad, it's usually at myself. I'm not really getting mad at other guys. But I mean, I, as a team, yeah. I mean, I'll, I may not have the blow ups, but I, I'm not afraid to say, hey, we need to be better at this or, or better at that. Is there any time you've, you've yelled at yourself on the bench and you've looked up and one of your teammates is just laughing? Uh, probably. I'm <laughs> sure. I'm sure uh, Kevin's laughed a couple times. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I'm I'm super hard on myself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I uh, there's definitely I'm sure there's times where guys are like, what the hell is this guy <laughs> talking about? But um, yeah, just sort of how I am. And uh, I feel like just how I'm wired. But. Um, just a couple more. First of all, have you and Brandon ever talked about playing together? We have a little bit because sort uh, a couple of years ago, it was, I guess it almost came. Um, it almost happened when the GMs called me and was like, Hey, we might trade for your brother. Um, was this in Calgary or in uh, Vancouver? It was in Calgary, but, and I was, he's like, do you care about, do you care if you guys play together? I'm like, no, I, I mean, we might get in, we'll probably get in some yelling matches on the, I would get mad at him actually, but, um, <laughs> on the bench, but no, it'd be, it'd definitely be a, a cool experience to, to play together. But that's sort of like the most we've talked about it, uh, mm-hmm. to this point anyways. So how close did that come? I don't know. Did you tell him that you knew? I told him after. I didn't tell him. Uh, I told him sort of as the like a little bit later. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to because I didn't know what he would sort of think about it either. But um, he, uh, yeah, he's he's really he's the opposite of me. So I mean, he yes. he doesn't stop talking and he's super fiery and he's not afraid to get into people's faces. So he's very much like my my dad and even my mom likes to talk a lot and I'm sort of the, the polar opposite. So I didn't, I'd be curious to see, see how that would go. <laughs> did, what did he say when you told him? Yeah, he he said he would, uh, he would be excited for it. I mean, he, he also wants to win too, right? And, yeah. uh, if there was a, a chance where we could both be on a, a good team, um, and play together, that would, that would be awesome. Just and the the other thing I wanted to ask you was I I remember your minor hockey team, like you played with Stamkos, mm-hmm. you played PK. with PK, um, you know like when you made it because you had a much harder route than those guys did. Did they ever say anything to you on the ice? Did they ever say anything to you now? And has there ever been like a reunion of the whole group? That no, I mean I work out with Stephen um, mm-hmm. every summer, so we we always are are talking and um my dad and his dad are, are friends so i mean we've we've always sort of stayed in, in touch um and then i see pk all out and about once in a while and i mean we will we'll talk and and have a drink but i mean it's yeah it's funny to see the three kids from an eight-year-old team or or in the NHL, I mean, those two were far better than than I was at that age. So they were uh, those. I think those two were the best, definitely the best players in North America at the time. I don't, 
I don't know if we lost a game that year. So, um, and it was because of those two. Well, I remember like is, is uh, Stamkos has always kind of ripped Tavares because on the one team they lost one game in the shootout and Tavares didn't score. Mm-hmm. So you guys were like unbeaten I've, together. I could be wrong. I believe we tied one game, and I don't think we lost a, a game all year. But you'd have to ask the <laughs> ask the old dads. They, I'm sure they they uh, they all remember. Um, I assume that someday someone's going to have to drag you off the ice. Like you're not walking away from this voluntarily. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I have lots of hockey left to play. And, uh, I, um, as I said, I really, I really want to win. And, um, as long as I'm still able to play, I, I think I'll definitely, and my family's still supportive of that. I will definitely try. And your son is how old? Ten months now. Yeah, ten months. Would it be important for you to play long for him to understand what daddy does? Um, I've I've thought about that, and yeah, I think he's. It would be cool if he's four or five years old and sort of understands a little bit of of what I'm doing. Um, but it, if not, you you try to get uh, yeah, you try to get some memories and just to hope that that he remembers. But I mean, I. That's definitely a big goal of mine is to to be playing where he's can sort of take it in obviously a lot more than he is uh, right now. If there's one thing you could do to the NHL, what would it be? It's a tough question. As far as anything, um, anything you could change about the NHL, or if you were in charge for a day, something that you would do. Um, I I I think that biggest thing is just trying to get people to know the players better um i think you look at others and i I know there's not a lot of personalities in hockey there are there are but people maybe people yeah people are sort of maybe afraid to get out there or or maybe they don't have access to to as much um of a following as as other sports but i think there's a lot of uh stars in the league and i think um, just trying to maybe get out there and, and grow the game and um, sort of seeing what they're about. Um, so who's the person that you know that you'd be like, if they showed themselves out there, people would love them. You have a name. Oh, there's a, I'm trying to think, but there's like, there's different ways. I think like you could go and look at Quinn Hughes and, me and Quinn are pretty close and see, just talk to him and understand how he thinks about hockey. And that would intrigue a lot of people, I think, or you can like, we have Z on our team. Who's a, yeah. a big personality. He, he loves to talk and sort of just seeing his different opinions on things would, I think definitely um, get a lot of people's attention. So there's, I mean, there's different ways to go about it. You mm-hmm. can sort of look at like Z as a, he's definitely going to have of his opinions and whether you believe it or not, I mean, he's going to attract sort of people to the game, but then you could also talk to a guy like Quinn just about hockey. And I think he would, how he sees the game would, um, interest people, uh, that don't really know about it, you know? Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd want to say? No. No, I know. I know you're not going to volunteer too much. Thanks very much, Chris. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me.
That's Chris Tanov of the Calgary Flames. And on that one, we'll wrap. We hope you're enjoying uh, all the NHL action this week. We hope you're enjoying the NHL's global series in Stockholm. And on behalf of Dom and the L-Dog, Jeff Merrick signing off. We'll talk to you again on Monday morning.